This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm Erica Anderson and I am so pumped to be speaking today with my good friend Beverly Hallberg. She's the president and founder of District Media Group, an incredibly successful media training and public relations business in Washington, D.C. She's been one of my favorite people for the past 10 years and just in the past few we've become much closer and she did some of the publicity for my book and it's just all around one of the most positive, encouraging, and inspiring women I know. So I know you'll enjoy our conversation and take something from it. So enjoy. All right, Beverly, thank you so much for joining me on my new podcast. Thanks for having me. I feel honored. Yeah, well, you're one of my favorite people, um, and so I knew it would be it would be great to hear from you and some of the experiences you've had. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and what you do for a living in this exciting city of Washington D.C.? The the never stopping city of Washington D.C. It's been pretty busy with a, a very crazy news cycle as of late. Um, but how I play into that, I, I have a business called District Media Group, and we focus on helping people communicate effectively, mostly in media interviews, but we also do a decent amount of helping people with public speaking in general and overall executive coaching and, and helping individuals, not just in Washington, D.C., but also nationally and internationally. So we work with a lot of policy analysts. We work with a lot of politicians and try to make them sound as compelling as possible. So I, I started the business. 10 years ago and came to D.C. Somehow it's been 18 years since I moved to D.C. I was a radio and television broadcasting major. I had planned to, and my dream job was to work at ESPN. I wanted to be a sports reporter. But I had politics in my background based on my dad, who was a um, politician in California when I was growing up. And this internship opened up in Washington, D.C. right before my senior year. And I thought, why not go and work in the studio in Washington, D.C. for the summer? And it all they asked if I wanted a full time job after I graduated. And so somehow that's turned into 18 years. So becoming an entrepreneur is kind of a big dream for a lot of people. And it's also kind of a buzzword right now in (laughs) for people um, our age and millennials and things like that. How did you go from you know, you had a regular job, you were getting paid by someone else go from that to saying, I'm going to do this thing on my own and have the courage and the knowledge and, you know, do what it took to actually make it that um, as an entrepreneur. It wasn't a dream of mine. So I never had this thought that I was going to run my own business someday. It was just something that happened pretty organically. And so the reason why I even went out on my own is um, while I had a full-time job, I had a boss who encouraged me to do a lot of freelance work on top of it. He found that if I improved my skills as a producer and director at other places, that that would benefit my work um, since I did a lot of video production at my first job. And what I found was is I couldn't do all the work coming in that was freelance and do my full-time job. So over time, I made the decision to just pick up the freelance work. And I was prepared to, if I didn't have enough freelance work, to um, 
waitress. I did that all through high school and college for the extra money. I never had to do that, which was great. And so for me, I wouldn't really say I never felt courageous in doing it. It was just it made sense. I was like, oh, I have all this freelance work. Why don't I work for myself? And then I always realized if it didn't work, I would just go find a full time job again. So I think if anything, there there was always there were the questions by family and close friends who thought, are you crazy? What what is it that you're doing? But I felt pretty comfortable doing it. I, I was thinking about going out on my own for probably two or three years and was praying about it. And at you just I got to a certain point where it was just clear and I was willing for I was at the point where. I knew that I would rather try and fail rather than not try at all and that I always always could find a full-time job again. And so that was kind of my path into going out on my own and then officially starting the business. Did you feel like you said you prayed about it? Did you feel like um, you got an answer from God on that? Was it sort of like, I feel like he's telling me this is the right thing, but I'm not sure. Or did you get any kind of clarity there? I did have clarity and I don't think clarity always comes in the way that we would want it. While I had a great job and um, loved where I worked, I'd been thinking about it and praying about it for a while. And then all of a sudden, there were some major, major management staff changes at my full-time job. So everything was kind of in flux. They weren't bad decisions. It was just, do I want to move forward with this? And it was just clear to me at that time that that wasn't a direction I wanted to go. And, And it was that on top of, I had already moved far enough far enough up in the company where I didn't want any other role on top of that. So I had gone as far as I could when it came to communications because I had no, I, no big dream of being a VP of, you know, or executive director because I wanted to work solely in communications and the, the company did a lot more than just communications. So I had, I had stopped learning. I had outgrown where I could move. Then there were all these structural changes and it just, there was just this overwhelming sense of peace that, it's time. Like it just, for whatever reason, it was like all of a sudden, I was like, all right, I'm ready. I'm done. And I think part of that is it wasn't a rash decision. I've been thinking about it for so long that when things just lined up the way they did, I just had an overwhelming sense of peace that it was just time to, to try. Yeah. What you say is what I've heard from a lot of people and, and those that have gone out on their own is that they were kind of doing the full-time thing. Then they kept getting all the freelance work and and they got to that point where it was like, you can only hold so much in your arms and you have to make a decision. Uh, so it sounds like you were, you were doing it the right way and not uh, going into debt <laughs> to, uh, to do what you needed to do. I've always said to people about business, whether it's deciding to go out on my own or hiring employees or fill in the blank of all the different big business decisions that you make, it's always about tipping points. Mm-hmm. So it's always, so for me, it was, I couldn't handle all my freelance work. So I'd either have to turn that down in order to keep my full-time job or go for it. So that was a tipping point. Then it was kind of slow for a little bit as I only had freelance work, but then freelance work built up so much, I couldn't handle all the freelance work without additional help. So then you make a decision. It's a tipping point. Do I turn business away so that it's just me or do I hire and try to expand? So for me, it's it's always been the process of you just continue to do what you, you're currently doing. And as you expand, you determine whether or not you want it. It's tipping you in, in a direction to continue to expand or to stay where you are. So that's that's what I've always found. So it's I, I'm I'm kind of odd in in comparison to a lot of people, and that I've actually never written out a business plan <laughs> ever. 
ever in my 10 years. And that's because, especially in the field of media, it's changes so quickly and you just can't predict the future. So the way I've always viewed is if I work hard, make good relationships, the doors are going to open where they do and a business plan isn't going to necessarily help me get there. And okay, so I had two questions. Number one, when you did finally make that switch and you got to name your company and you got to have business cards and a website and all of those things that make it yours, was that kind of thrilling for you? Did you have a moment of, wow, I really made this happen? You do, but there is an element where it's such a slow process that you have to sometimes take a step back and look at what's happened over the years and say, oh, like a few years ago when I started this, I would say, that's amazing. That's so cool. But I think when you just get in the moment and you're doing, okay, right now we're doing a business card. I just revamped my website um, this past year and it had been the same website for a long time. I was really excited when the revamp happened. But so many of these, these growth areas, they do just happen over time. And so it's natural progression. Um, but you do have those moments sometime, sometimes where something really cool happens in business and like you get a really, really big client. Or I remember when I I started doing a a lot of TV, um, TV appearances, and that was really cool for me. And you get more business because you're doing it. So you have those moments where you see where you've come and it is cool. But so much of, I mean, you just, you know, everybody does this in work. You just kind of slowly slog through the day to day. And sometimes it's hard to see the big picture. So you have to take a step back sometimes. So how do you measure, measure success in your business? How do you know that you are feeling good about how things are going? If I'm making payroll (laughs) (laughs) and hopefully then some, yeah, hopefully then some, um, how do I measure success? Yeah, I, I would say, For me, it's not always the bottom line, which the bottom line definitely matters because you can't do what you're doing without that. But it's are my clients happy and are my employees happy? So to me, that's always a measurement of success because I would not be happy as a business owner if um, I had a bad reputation as far as people not feeling they got their money's worth. So most of my marketing has been word of mouth, which makes me extremely proud because it means that people like you and trust you enough to recommend you to their friends or their peers. And so for me, a measure of success is is really just the people who I interact with on a day-to-day basis or a weekly basis or a monthly basis, do they still have high esteem of the product we're giving them? So for me, that's, that's what success is. And um, yeah, but making payroll as well, because you have to pay the bills. So, so you've always been a good communicator. It sounds like why, or what makes you passionate about doing what you do? What makes you excited to teach people to get out there and speak in a way that represents them well and honors the message that they're sending? Yeah. As far as always being a good communicator, I still have to polish and still have to practice. And that's something that, of course, is a big part of any type of session you take with me is having practice being part of it. But one of the benefits that I had was I had a father who also majored in the same degree that I did, radio and television broadcasting. And he uh, was a speaker and a politician and a preacher. So I was used to hearing him speak on a regular basis. And he emphasized proper grammar. So I was not allowed to use filler words or speak in 
correctly. And so growing up, it was just normal for him to call things out in a kind way if I wasn't saying them properly. And my mom is also really talented with writing. And so it was just a part of my upbringing. And as far as why I'm passionate about it, it's probably because I'm a verbal processor. So I like to talk, which is probably part of it because our, our business focuses on what you say, not what you write, even though writing does play a role. And so I, I have just found that when it comes to building relationships with people or tearing them down, it has to do with how we talk to them. And so in my day to day, if I if I had one goal with what I hope I myself can achieve in my communication or what my clients can achieve, and, and this is the model that I always teach in, it's can you actually bring more people together to agree that, oh, we do have a lot of common ground versus a very provocative style, which DC is known for, which tends to divide people. So I believe in the power of words to actually bring people together and make and have progress. And words can either build up or destroy. And so I hope with District Media Group, what we're doing is, is building people up. And what I would say is in the direction of rhetoric and also policies that I think help people. Yeah, I mean, the way that someone says something and presents their message is almost more important than what they're saying sometimes, um, at least in politics, when a politician is trying to gain support for a campaign or an issue. Um, who is there a politician or a public figure that you would say is, is very good at this, whether or not you necessarily agree with them politically? I think different people do aspects of well for a variety of reasons. Someone who I want to point out who I think is a very strong speaker who I often don't agree with as far as policy, but is Michelle Obama. And I know President Obama was always praised for his communication style. I always thought that, well, there are many good aspects to what he did. I always felt it was a little too rehearsed and too forced, like you could see through the, the rehearsed side of it. But Michelle Obama, I've always thought, is a very powerful speaker who you think is, is authentic. Um, someone on the Republican side who I think as a female is doing a really good job these days is Nikki Haley, um, the ambassador to the UN. And I just think she speaks in a way that has a lot of credibility, has a lot of authority. She still is very feminine. But you take her very seriously. And sometimes it can be hard for women to thread both the embracing being a woman as well as holding and commanding respect when you speak. And I think she does it well. But then there are some people who I look to who in many ways would break some of the, the norms or the forms that we would say makes good communication. But because of who they are, it actually works for them. Um, one person who I would listen to no matter what he was saying, and sadly, he this year he died, is Charles Krathammer. Oh, yeah. I would never actually coach someone, someone to, to necessarily deliver in the way he did because it, it was just unique to him. It's, it's to me a lot about being a good public speaker is authenticity. And for me, he was always authentic, always wise, never angry. Um, very rarely did he get riled up, always did it with humor, but that was his personality as well. And so one of the techniques I even do when I'm, I'm working with someone for the first time is I record them, we play it back, and I'll ask them when they've watched themselves, would the people who are closest to you think that that was you? Mm. Is that personality because one of the biggest mistakes people make is that they're they're not authentic and they're not conversational and even when you think of some of the most serious speeches you could give you should still have an element of a person's personality as they're giving it 
Um, so, and you have, and you've recently started, um, coaching people on Ted talk style speaking, haven't you? Yes. Which I really, really enjoy. It's a lot of fun. So what, what are a couple of tips that you might give to people that are looking to be better just on the fly if they were looking for something, you know, in, in 30 seconds? Yeah. Whether it's a Ted talk or let's say a common communication scenario people have, which is maybe speaking at a staff meeting. One of the quickest ways to command respect is to project your voice. So most of us do get very nervous when we're speaking, when we're speaking in front of others. It's the greatest fear that people have even greater than dying is the fear of public speaking. Wow. And so one of the one of the things that happens when you're nervous is that your voice tends to become shaky and more quiet. So when you're nervous, you want to go inward, even your body language gets smaller. And so if somebody is projecting their voice and speaking loudly, not only does it help break through any type of potential shaky voice you may have due to nerves, but you just seem more confident people who project their voice. So that's one quick tip. And the other would be is to make eye contact with people. Don't look down. Don't look up. Try to look at the audience that you're speaking to, because if you're projecting your voice and maintaining eye contact, you already have the the visuals and the vocals that show that you're comfortable and command respect. So those would be two quick things that people can do. All right, cool. Well, let me ask you a couple a couple more questions before we go. Um, yeah. You have a lot going on. You've got your business. Um, you've got um, a, an active social life. You have an adorable dog, which everyone can follow, right? DMG Dre. Yeah. And um, and so, how do you uh, make priorities in your life? How do you pick and choose, and then also keep balance in terms of maintaining friendships and travel and all the things that you want to do? How do you how do you make those decisions? It's really hard. I wish there was an easy answer. When people talk about work and life balance, it's really, really tricky. And and one of the aspects of my job is many people have in the, their jobs these days, and I think those who are entrepreneurs especially have, is I don't have a nine to five. And every day changes and schedules change. You know, it, That morning, my afternoon could change or all of a sudden I have an evening commitment. And so it can be really, really hard. I'm pretty bad at turning things down. I will say that that's bad, except for I do have one day where I don't work. It's very, it's probably only work on Sundays, maybe once or twice a year. So Sundays are my day where nothing ever gets scheduled, uh, just so I can make church and God a priority, which is really important to keep me grounded. Um, that's an important part of balance. And I, I am in a business that is, is cyclical as well. So typically around Christmas, typically um, around that time frame, people don't want to hire a trainer. So they're busy with the holidays and the season. And so when I have those periods of time, I always make family a priority and making sure I'm spending time with family. But in the day-to-day week, I do try to schedule stuff with friends and Fortunately, my friends are really understanding that usually schedules are tentative because all it takes is one thing to break in the news or a client to call me and I have to rearrange. So I just hold plans loosely and my friends understand that it's not that I'm not trying to make them a priority, but it's just it's the beast that is working for yourself and being in D.C. and working in media. So that's that's the hard part. Well, and one of the things that you do, as you mentioned, breaking news is you are often featured on Fox News or Fox Business and talking about really hot topics that even breaking news that's just happened maybe an hour before. 
Uh, do you ever get nervous talking about things that are just happening? And, and how do you kind of manage those topics when everything is so, um, it almost feels risky to talk in public sometimes when, when it comes to those divisive issues? I know. I've even thought to myself, maybe this is a really stupid idea for me to do TV interviews because this is what I train people to do. So if I make a big mistake, <laughs> maybe maybe that's bad. Or I've just told myself, though, it could be used as a, a teaching lesson that we're all human and make mistakes at times. So nobody's perfect. Um, yeah, it's. I'll even give you an example. On Friday, I had an appointment in the afternoon and I knew I was going to be going to Fox to speak about likely the Kavanaugh hearing since that was very big last week. But I knew the votes were happening at one thirty. My appointment started at one. I was like, OK, we pretty much know how they're going to vote. It's fine. And then my phone started blowing up during this meeting that I had. It was three hours long and I couldn't check my phone. So I'm on the way to Fox. And then I realized there's now going to be an FBI investigation. So you're like trying to figure out what it's going on. And, and unfortunately for me, um, I struggle to read in the car or I get motion sickness very easily. So you, I, what I typically do, and this is how amazing my staff is, is that they just keep up on what's going on if they know I have a TV hit. And I usually call them and we talk through it. So what are the details? Sometimes I'll be like, what about this? What about this? They'll go back and do some research. And then it's usually when you're getting your makeup and hair done, I'm putting together talking points and thinking through what I want to say. And, and my general opinion is always, there's always something that you can say, never make it up, but you can always give an aspect of, you know, here's what we need to be looking towards. Um, even if you don't know all the details, you can always redirect the question that you get to an answer that you can give. Um, so that's one, but you do, I asked a producer once, what was the most important skill or technique that they were looking for when they would um, book people for, for TV hits? And he said, somebody who's nimble. Because things change. It's very common to be sitting in the chair and all of a sudden they want you to talk about something else. One of the reasons why my business helps me in this is because I work with people every day on a wide variety of topics. So I usually know a little bit about many issues. So whether it's trade that's popping up or taxes or judicial stuff. I've at least worked with people on those and helped them with talking points, which of course is a huge benefit to me to be able to at least say something that I do know. So it's always about being able to pivot off the question and go in a direction that you can talk about. Have you ever had a client where you were really working with them on an issue and then you were really excited to see how they did and you felt yeah. really solid about like, man, they really nailed that. Yes, because I would say probably the greatest joys in my job is you get to work with people who are often fearful. So even even if it is a very accomplished person, one of the things I've realized in media training is everybody's insecure and everybody has fears. And so when you can see someone who is able to overcome the fear of speaking in front of a group or speaking in front of a camera or worrying about what type of hard question can come up and being able to really smoothly get to the talking point they want based on the hard question we've practiced. Those things are just really, really satisfying because a lot of times these TV appearances and I think the media obviously can be very hostile. You can get some really, really hard questions that can ruin your career depending on how you answer it. And so when you have someone who is able 
to get away from hostile, faulty premise questions and be able to stick to what their talking point is and the point that they want to get across. That's, of course, always satisfying when you played a small role in that. Yeah, that's so scary because it is true that something you say could be uh, could ruin your career. It could be taken out of context. It could you could say it wrong accidentally. And being on national TV is, is a pretty big deal. So, <laughs> and then it lives forever online. <laughs> yes, that's what that's what scares me. Which is why I want to do more media, but like I don't want to. I I could not be the person that does breaking news. <laughs> that's for sure. You do. I mean, I was very nervous when I first started out because I was worried. Once again, I was saying earlier, what if I do mess up and then clients ask, why do we hire her? But the more you do it, the more you just build up the skill set for it. It really is just another skill set, like playing a musical instrument or playing a sport where a sport, you go to batting practice every day, even though you know the sport, it's, it's something the more you do it, the easier it gets. Yeah, Um, I can see that from even my limited experience doing a little bit, I can see how you would just start to, to have those kind of stock things that you know, you can say if you're in a pinch or something like that. Yep. And I have no problem with somebody saying something along the lines of, look, I'm not an economist, so I can't give you those specifics, but here's what I can tell you. So that would be an example of a phrase I would encourage somebody to say, um, because unless you are an economist, which if you are, you probably do have the detailed answers, <laughs> um, you can pivot away. And, and one of the things that I, I often do, too, is just say, well, as somebody who focuses on communication, here's what I can tell you about the rhetoric. So if I don't really want to get into the policy issue, I can always try to redirect to the angle I want to talk about. So pivot that's a, is the key word. Pivot is the key word without it sounding like you're dodging. You should never dodge. You should be able to acknowledge the question, but very quickly pivot to what you want to talk about. So that's saving yes. grace. Well, I always say uh, I've known Beverly for, I don't know, how, we've known each other for about, what, 10 years or maybe more? Yeah. I mean, well, we, we, we weren't as close friends like back in the old days, but we met forever ago. Um, but I've, I've always worked with you on these things. And, um, and I just always remember thinking, I feel like you could give Beverly like the topic of, you know, octopus (laughs) birth 101 and like, you could talk your way out of it and like make yourself sound like a science scientist or something. (laughs) Could try. Could you try. Could try. We could throw some things at you and see what happens. Yes, yes, yes. There, there have been a lot of interesting topics these days that I never thought I would be commenting on. So it's, it's some of these, some of these topics have put me to the test. Well, there have been things said on the floor of the Senate that I never thought I would hear recently. Yep. So Donald Trump has kept things interesting. <laughs> Very he kept my toes. So Very, that's yes. That's, Okay. Uh, What is one professional or personal goal that you'd like to achieve that you haven't achieved yet? And I have to say that I stole that question from my sister, but I love it. She uses that on her podcast, but I think it's such a fun question. Professional. See, as I said earlier, I don't really have a business plan. So (laughs) the professional goals, I don't really have as much, except I would say my professional goal would be continuing it as I move on to do actually do less and less training, but build up a team that can do that and building up our pitching and booking capabilities for our clients and doing just more 
bringing in the business, writing, doing TV. So less hands-on and more the bringing in the business and, and, and bringing people underneath me who can do a lot of that and, and helping them along and keeping consistent with the model that I've always taught in. So I would say the professional goal is, I don't know if I'll ever do this, even though I say it is to actually work less. Mm -hmm. That's That's great. While business still grows. So I've, I've, I don't think I do this perfectly, but I've been better in the past couple of years about letting go of every little thing and trusting other people to do stuff. Not because I didn't have trustworthy people working for me, but because I, it, it used to be just me. And so it's hard to delegate and hand over, but it's, it's been such a healthy thing to not be in charge of everything, um, to have obviously oversight of stuff, but letting other people day to day do other, some of the, some of the work. So that's been good. And I just want to do more of that. So that would say professional goal. Personal goal is hard. Um, I think, I mean, for me, I've, I have made this a priority, but just continue to make um, my faith a priority, um, to continue to follow up with friends. Um, my closest friends in DC are usually my friends who, while we met through work, when we get together, work is the last thing we talk about. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, the, the people who I love the most are the ones we all work in politics in some fashion, yet that's the last thing we would talk about at a party. Um, so that's good. And personal, I mean, I would love to have kids someday. I love to get married. Um, I think that's once again, more of God has to make that happen versus me, but to make yourself available for it. And yeah, that's what I'd say. Well, and I also have to add um, back on your professional goal that, well, this isn't really part of your goal, but just wanted to add that Beverly, um, helped me with, uh, my book promotion and, um, I hired her and her team to to get out there and get me some stuff for radio and TV, and they did an amazing job. So um, if anybody's listening, um, definitely look to District Media Group for, for all kinds of stuff like that. <laughs> um, example of why, I mean, first of all, you're my friend, so it was, it was a delight, but your book and the message that you're getting out there. It's why it makes my job so fulfilling because I get to work with people who really want to make a difference. And so that's always a fulfilling thing to play a small, very small part in your case of that. Yeah. And also a reminder, like you are working with politicians and and people that sometimes get a bad reputation, but uh, the truth is that there really are good people and good politicians out there and leaders out there in Washington, DC that are trying to do their best for um, for individuals across the country. And it's pretty cool to be a small part of that. And I, you know, having worked in DC myself, I, I can relate to you on that aspect. And if I could, one of the biggest misperceptions I hear about politicians, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot to critique um, and a lot to criticize when it comes to politicians. But when people say that um, congressmen, members, well, they only work three days a week, I'm like, no, they're in D.C. three days a week, but then they go back to their districts and usually work all weekend. So they work a lot more than what people see. And oh, so I can't imagine. They, I would think they're working constantly, just working constantly. Yeah, events and preparation and reading and research. And I mean, I hope they're reading and researching <laughs> for the things that they're voting on. But um, slate of directors are for no. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say some of them you can tell are not. But <laughs> um, okay, last question because I am a book lover and I love books, and I don't know if you've had time to read any lately. But have you had? Do you have any that you would recommend? I do. So this is a book that I had wanted to read for a while. And I think like many people, we finally read it. And that's Charles Krauthammer's book, Things That Matter. 
So it's a really, so speaking of work on life balance, this is a really good book as far as not talking about politics, but just things in things in life that really matter. And it's written in such a way that it's individual short stories. So it's a really easy read and you can pick up and where, you know, start a new story and get through it in 10 minutes. And so especially someone who I really looked up to as far as not just his political insight and his communication expertise, but just who he was as a person. This book is just a natural extension of that. So I know a lot of people have read it, but uh, I highly recommend it if people haven't. Well, I haven't read it yet, but I am on a mission to get to the library this week and check out a bunch of books because I am going to stop buying so many of them. (laughs) And uh, that's going to be on my list because I've been thinking about getting it for a while. So you've just confirmed that that will be hopefully something that I'm able to pick up this week when I go. Out of curiosity, when do you read? I always find people's <laughs> read. <laughs> well, I read almost every night before bed for about 30 minutes. Okay. Um, and then I occasionally will read in the mornings really early when I get up because I, um, I just love reading so much that I like to sneak it in. Um, but I'm also a really fast reader, so I probably cover a lot more than most people, um, given that I have two little children. <laughs> um, that the People that have two little kids probably don't read as much as or as many books as I do just because I, I have this ability to read very fast. So. Did you get up like at 4.30 or 5 every morning? Um, not every morning. It really depends. I would say like two to three mornings a week. I do that. Uh, sometimes I'm exercising. Sometimes I'm just working. And sometimes I'm like, I'm going to get up and read for like 30 to 45 minutes just to like get that in for the day. So yeah, it's all about time management. Gotta do it. I've even heard that when you become a mom, you're better at time management. That's what I've heard because it forces you to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably true. I think I'm just trying to stuff way too much into my day anyways. But I <laughs> not start a podcast. Yeah, right? that, I'm going to, you know, on top of my full time job and my kids and my all that. So I'm going to start a podcast. So yeah, um, I can handle it. I can do it. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes all right, sense. Beverly. Well, thank you so much for coming on. You're you're the second interview I've done. And um, we will just see where this goes. All right. Thanks for talking. And thanks for having me. All right, guys, I know you enjoyed that conversation with Beverly. She is such the perfect mix of fun and smart and beautiful. Really, that's what she is. And I just love talking with her, um, whether or not we're recording, whether or not we're doing work together. It's just such a blast being her friend. So I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you'll follow Beverly. And uh, we'll see you next time on the podcast. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.